Hey Buddha Nation, welcome to the Ecom Show, where we invite e-commerce entrepreneurs, marketers, and agencies to talk about e-commerce, the best strategies and tactics, and what to implement in your own e-com store. Before we jump into this episode, I ask you to subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic, so it would mean the world to me if you could support us. And now let's jump into the episode. Hello everyone, here is Daniel Budai with a new episode of the Ecom Show and today I'm here with John Paul Manning and uh, he's the CEO and founder of Insulation for Less and uh, I think it's a special episode because most of our uh, guests, they are uh, in the startup world or, or fashion, beauty, mostly these niches, but actually uh, John and his company, it's in insulation in the in the UK. I would say it's a bit more traditional business. It's definitely an interesting topic for today. So I'm happy to have you here. How are you? Yeah, great. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So let's start with your personal background. When did you found this company and what was your initial motivation? Was it your first business or, or not? No, so uh, my original background is I'm a carpenter by trade. So when I finished school, went straight into the building trade um, and started to serve my time as a carpenter. And I'd done that for four years, got qualified and then moved on into um, college. Uh, also studied construction uh, technology in college and got a degree there. While all that was happening, I was still working on site. So my and my time in college was um, three nights and one day. So uh, that would have been from 96 through to about 2001, 2002, when I finished college. Mm-hmm. Um, and at this point, when I finished serving my time as a carpenter, I, I went working for my brother who had set up a construction company. And then after a couple of years of us working together, we decided that uh, we'd set up a new company just for the two of us. And that's where we set up Manning Residential. And that was really just kind of build one house. Uh, we'll buy a site, build a house, sell it, and buy another site, build two houses, sold them, and so forth. And we grew over a number of years, grew up to be a fairly sizable construction company. My other brother, Keith, came into the business also at a later stage. So we got up to, to building around 150 houses a year where we're just buying sites, etc. And then, of course, the crash came along in 2008 mm-hmm. uh, and just before the crash really I was I was kind of dabbling in my own head how I would bring the construction industry online because it was something that interested me I didn't know how I was going to do it uh, it was always in the back of my mind I was going to do something online so eventually then one day I just came up with the idea to um, to sell construction materials online with a company that I set up called Build for Less and I set this up in Ireland and I call it buildforless.ie and I grew that business and uh, while I was growing that business, I also set up in the US, which I'll touch back on later. But soon after, I, I decided I would set up in the UK. And that's where Insulation for Less Limited came about. So kind of took all my learnings really from, uh, from the Irish business 
because we were such a substantial construction company at the time, we had very big buying power. And mm -hmm. with the crash that happened in, well, all over the world, really in the construction industry, I knew that the buying power that we had as big developers, mm -hmm. that I could continue to buy at those rates and put a margin on it and sell then to, to DIYers or sell to smaller contractors. Because especially at that time, it was a credit crunch. So, so like all, all builders and merchants uh, were refusing to give credit to contractors. Contractors had to pay up front for material, which was something that would have been relatively not traditional because contractors would always have had 30 or 60 days credit. But when the crash happened, all that changed. So we had a lot of contractors then that moved to buy construction materials through my website. And that suited the builders merchants because you only had to deal with one credit line, me, as opposed to 20, 30, 40 or 50 different credit lines with mm -hmm. different contractors. So it made it easier for them also. So I continued to trade there for a while. And then I think it was around 2016, maybe around that time when I sold that business. Mm -hmm. I sold buildforless.ie. Uh, to uh, builders merchants in Dublin and they continue to run it to this day but at that point I was already up and running in the UK which I set up in 2011 really kind of started in 2012 which was installation for less.co.uk and that uh, grew quite well it took it took many years to get it to where it is today of course you know like all businesses but it's been one of the few success uh, stories in in kind of e-commerce whereby we've never taken investment into the business. Like there's always this um, analogy that if you're going to set up online or you're going to set up a tech company, you have to bring in investment and you have to go out and get angel investors in, et cetera. There was no money put into our business other than hard work and graft. And that's where it got it to where it is today. Um, and then about four years ago then, we set up buildforless.co.uk, uh, which was uh, more of an all-rounded e-commerce website for, for all construction materials. So it kind of broadened the basket for our customers. Uh, we still maintained insulation for less.co.uk um, for, for to specialize in insulation and, uh, and that sector of the market. But, uh, but by branching out to build for less, it, uh, it just allowed us to utilize our same customer base, but offer them, uh, them more products that they may need. Uh, yeah. And then we set up then tiles for less uh, .co.uk then about two years ago, uh, and that's uh, growing quite well. While also we acquired Building Supplies Online last year, which is uh, Building Supplies .co.uk. We acquired them last year, uh, and that and that's been going very strongly. Um, I also have uh, another business over in the US uh, where we do exactly the same thing, and that's called insulationforus.com. And then mm -hmm. I also have roofingforus.com. And of course, they're all still e-commerce businesses. Uh, we don't hold stock anywhere. It's, it's, it's purely a dropship uh, run. Uh, so, so it's very much a tech business with a kind of more traditional builders, providers approach to it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So how many websites do you have in total at the moment? Uh, so we have uh, six in total. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, yeah. So a few, a few questions on my side. Um, and it's a very interesting business model indeed. Um, first of all, so because of the dropship nature of it, like um, ha have you never had any quality issues? Because, you know, we are talking about installation and, and, and construction materials. So quality is obviously important. 
Yeah, so I suppose it's all down to, to who you partner up with um, mm-hmm. and to be very careful as to who, who you do business with because ultimately the companies that uh, deliver your orders are the companies that are effectively representing your brand. And if they do a poor job with regards to, to their customer service, it's a reflection on us. It's not a reflection on the company that's delivered the products because the customers bought from us, so it's a reflection on us. So, so we do work very, very closely with our partners to ensure that, A, we work to their processes as well, but also that they work to our processes as, you know, also to, to maintain good customer service. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'd be very strict with our suppliers and in, in how, how, how they handle our orders, uh, their timeframes in which um, they adhere to um, in getting material to customers on time but also how, how their drivers manage the order when, when they get it to site. So, I mean, you do have um, occasional instances where, where you have lazy drivers or drivers that just don't care and they will dump material off of the side of the road or they'll throw it over mm-hmm. a wall or, you know, they do something stupid. Yeah. And, and we come down very heavy on those guys uh, and we make sure that there's, uh, there's disciplinary actions put in place for, for these people. And, and in some cases, we would insist that they would never deliver for us again. Because ultimately, as I said a moment ago, they're representing our brand and, and, and it affects us if the customer has a poor experience. Like you can do all things right on your website and have it as easy as possible to, to navigate your site and have all the information there. And the customer has a great experience when they're ordering online. But then if they have a poor experience with receiving the products on time, well, sure, all your hard work before that's gone down the toilet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it takes long years to build it up, but it takes a few moments to yeah, absolutely in the yeah. replication, right? Yeah, uh, I, very quickly. I can see on your websites you have more than uh, one thousand three hundred reviews. That's what I can see here, and uh, very close to five stars. Uh, yeah. So that's amazing in yeah. your industry, I think. Uh, I'm also curious how the Irish, the the British, and the U.S. markets are different in your uh, in your niche. They're very different, even though the products that you sell are quite similar, and um, they all do the same thing. Like ultimately, if you were to take insulation for Less.co.uk and then insulation for US.com, all the products that we sell on both sites, they're all pretty much exactly the same, except you'll have slightly different dimensions. It's kind of feet and inches over in the U.S. and it's it's millimeters and meters in the UK and centimeters. Um, so from that point of view, but ultimately, you know, you have your fiberglass uh, attic type insulation, you have your mineral walls, your rock wall, etc., And then you have your polyiso type insulation as well. But it's, it's a completely different market. Uh, it's a completely different animal altogether. Uh, the scale is just off the charts when it comes to trying to move product from uh, from from say the depot to the customer because the distances are so vast it's it's mm-hmm. very rare that you will get an order that's within 30 40 miles in the US away from the depot everything goes on LTL which is like a courier or you know kind of truck delivery so so you're heavily reliant on third parties to deliver your product most of the time so damages are a big issue over there because drivers just don't care less 
you know, they, they'll drive a forklift into the side of your insulation and then they'll throw it off the back of the truck and, and, and they won't care, you know. And the, uh, the courier services over there, the LTL services is what they're called. It's, it's like the Wild West. They, they will tell you it's going to cost you, say, $200 to move a pallet from A to B. And then when the invoice comes in, it could be $350. They'll just go straight into your bank account and they'll take that $350 and it's up to you to argue the case after that. And they'll tell you, oh, well, the customer wasn't there when we arrived or the product was heavier than what you originally said it was or the dimensions were slightly wider. They'll get you on something, you know. Uh, so it's very much the Wild West thing to be very careful of that. You lose an awful lot of money very quickly if you're not careful on, on, on moving goods around. But also... Just, just a sheer vastness when you compare it to the UK. Like, I mean, the UK just fits into the pocket of Florida, really. And like, I mean, in the US, we uh, we move product from from Miami to Alaska, and everywhere in between. So the logistics side of it is is extremely complicated, uh, but also maintaining a a consistent price across the country is also a challenge as well. Mm. It's very, very different in so many ways, but very similar in other ways too, with regards to the type of product you're selling, but completely different animal. Hey Budai Nation, welcome to the Ecom Show. I ask you to subscribe to this podcast and if you like it, make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic, so it would mean the world to me if you could support us. I hope we can serve our audience in the best way. And now let's jump into the episode. And now you mentioned mostly the logistics side of it, but uh, anything on the sales side, like Americans, they buy differently than Europeans or that's not, there is no big difference there? I would say that the Americans have been um, probably spoiled to an extent with the Mm. Amazon model. Mm. So uh, whereby if um, an order is due to be delivered in, say, two days time and it arrives in three days time, there's a high chance they're going to turn away the order. Um, or, or there's a high chance that they will leave a poor review. You know, they're they're way less patient than people are in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, they're not as savvy around e-commerce in the construction industry in the US the way they are in the UK. Like, um, we're just so far ahead when it comes to e-commerce, even though contrary to, to, to belief out there that the US is very far um, ahead on this type of technology, they're actually not. Um, they're quite far behind. There's a couple of e-commerce stores in the US that are extremely advanced, yes. The, the, you know, the likes of Home Depot and Lowe's and Menards, mm-hmm. etc. But that's an exception as opposed to the rule over there. It, uh, it is an issue uh, from the expectation of the customer to, to the level of service. Like, to be fair to Amazon, they do have it pretty much nailed down, but it's very much customer-centric and there's no consideration taken for, for the vendor, you know, the person supplying the material. So, so I mean, uh, we've sold through Amazon on a couple of occasions and then we pulled away from it because you have a lot of cases whereby customers will receive product from Amazon, open the box, take parts out of the box, reseal the box and send it back. And Amazon will issue a full refund instantly to the customer without it even being checked. Uh, and customers just doing that over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a flaw in their business model because vendors in the construction material space can't swallow uh, that type of hit 
in returns the way kind of you know jewelers would or or or, or a clothes fashion company or whatever uh, because construction materials are so big and so heavy and so costly to move that if a customer returns it, it could cost $300 to get it back. And then you get it back and the box is being opened and half the product is taken out of it and the customer is being refunded. That's fine once or twice, but it starts when it starts to become repetitive, it starts to become a big issue. So we pulled away from Amazon from that point of view. So, but from, from a normal e-commerce perspective, uh, the differences between the UK and the US is is quite a bit from from usability point of view in e-commerce are just, just so far ahead in the UK. The US has a bit to go yet. And they'll admit that themselves over there as well. When when I go over and meet my suppliers over in the US, they're well aware that from from an e-commerce side of things, they're so far behind in the construction industry. Interesting. Uh, and also the Amazon part is interesting. You are not the first one uh, saying these about Amazon, especially <coughs> brands having larger products, bigger products or higher uh, priced items. So not like a $20 t-shirt that yeah. we are talking about. They also share these concerns. I uh, talked to a mattress company from Canada a few weeks ago, and I could say a few more examples and... Uh, in general, they 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 are not on Amazon, or they tried, but they they are not yeah. anymore. Um, yeah. What platform do you use for your e-commerce sites? Uh, so we're actually on on Shopify Plus, but also when we acquired Building Supplies Online last year, uh, that was on uh, Magento too. Mm-hmm. So we recently upgraded that to, I think it's 2.4.5, I think, if my memory serves me correct, their newest or one of their newest um, upgrades. Uh, so we're in the process at the moment of actually evaluating, do we move uh, building supplies online to Shopify Plus or do we move all our other stores over to Shopify or uh, over to Magento too? So it's mm-hmm. kind of an interesting study because because of the volumes we do, uh, obviously Shopify want to keep us on their platform and they want to take a scalp off Magento and take building supplies online. And Magento or the guys in Adobe, they're exactly the same. They want to be seen to take all these stores off of Shopify. Um, and it's kind of like a two fingers really, you know, that we can still do this. You know, we're bigger, we're better, we're stronger, etc. Yeah. So every time we speak to each each of their representatives, each of um, each of them are are always outlining why their platform is better and why the other platform isn't better, etc. So we're in the process of evaluating both platforms, and uh, we're seeing the pros and cons of both. And uh, fairly soon, we're going to have to hang our hat on one of them and make a decision. But yeah. primarily, it's it's Shopify Plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have experienced with both and to be honest with, with much more like with, with a dozen platforms at least and uh, Magento still has its place but I think uh, and, and most of the listeners we are quite biased to Shopify most of us we are marketers and Shopify is an easily scalable platform and uh, integrations are many so um, yeah, I, I think I can say that uh, I'm more Shopify Pro than Magento. Yeah. Um, 
but but I know Magento can do great with uh, certain types of businesses as well, especially bigger businesses. Bigger businesses, a lot of SKUs, um, they do uh, they do very well. Yeah, the... I think even from the SKU point of view, that was an argument that um, the guys in Adobe uh, used to hit me with, whereby you know we're more flexible with more SKUs. We have a hundred thousand SKUs on Shopify, you know, and it's it's as easy as pie to work. Mm-hmm. With, you know, so I mean, the number of SKUs isn't an issue. I think where Adobe have the advantage is the customizability of the platform. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you're pretty much nailed down with Shopify and Shopify Plus as to what you can do with the platform, especially around the checkout side of things. Yeah. Um, where uh, uh, Magento Two has a far more built-out B two B offering. I know Shopify Plus are kind of coming up. Up behind their heels there now quite quickly with uh, with their b2b options as well but it's still it's still not as well built out as as adobe's version uh, and also the persistent shopping cart is an extremely interesting um element for us that uh, we're looking at and to be honest the persistent shopping cart it could be a deal breaker for uh, for shopify mm. uh, but there are other options that will allow us to probably achieve a, a persistent shopping cart with with um, Shopify uh, by using um, PIMs, etc., to to kind of manage our product database away from the Shopify platform. So um, you know, it's uh, it's kind of interesting to see see where uh, where the two strengths lie between them from a product SKU number point of view as well. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, there is a third player. It, which is a big commerce and uh, yeah. they are also good with a lot of SKUs and more B2B commerce. At least that's what they claim. And we also work with a few clients using that platform. Um, let's talk about online marketing a bit more. So at the beginning, I said that this is my assumption that in your industry, uh, companies probably they they are less online marketing and tech savvy than uh let's say, uh, companies who are startups uh, or, or even fashion brands. Is that the, the right assumption? Is that the benefit for you in your industry? So so in a way whereby, um, like, are you talking like uh, builders, merchants, uh, where they wouldn't be as tech savvy as, as other companies? Is that what you mean, Daniel? Yeah, yeah, but also your competitors in general. Um, yeah so okay so if we stick with for now with like the traditional builders providers across the uk and uh, i would just stick with the uk for now um i would agree that a lot of them uh, wouldn't be as as tech savvy uh, but a lot of them don't need to be um Mm. and the reason why a lot of them don't need to be is because they're local merchants and they're, they're uh, small outfits, if you like. And um, I've had discussions with um, people before, after after seminars, etc., where especially kind of construction seminars where they're pushing for all builders, merchants, you need to go online and you need to get online as quickly as possible. You need to be selling your products online, blah, 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 blah. Right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's absolute nonsense because... For, for a small builder's merchant who's who's dealing relatively locally, maybe within a 30, 40 mile radius of his branch, 
it makes absolutely no sense for that guy to go online. Um, reason being, he's never going to be able to compete with companies like us and similar to us because we're dedicated in, um, in, in the online space. And he's got a much smaller um, circle of customers than what we have. So, um, and he's going to have to put anything close to 250 grand in, into a pot to go online properly because you don't go online with 20 grand and think you're going to start making money. Like, I mean, if you're going to go at it seriously, you have to have a quarter of a million, at least a quarter of a million, just to start. Uh, so to ask these smaller guys or to tell these smaller guys that they have to do it and give them this idea that they have to do it is completely wrong, I believe, because they're never going to be able to compete. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it'll just be like flushing money down a toilet effectively because they're not as tech savvy and they have to go through a whole learning process. And while they're doing all that learning process, we're continuing to grow, we're getting smarter and they're always playing catch up. So uh, it just doesn't make sense. And then I suppose from from a marketing perspective, then like um, you're kind of looking at your email marketing and then your online marketing and your uh, your customer retention, etc. And like all that for these guys, for the smaller guys, it's it's a completely new field and it just doesn't make sense to go down that road. They're better off just staying on what they're doing because it works, right? So now, you know, for, uh, for the larger guys that probably have more nationwide coverage, I'd say, yeah, okay, you know, it can, it can kind of make sense for those guys to do that. But then there's the other flip side and, and, and what we have seen in the past where I have, I have helped other builders, merchants go online in Ireland um, and I've seen the pitfalls and, and a lot of time it's because they're so traditional based already, they have to bring in a completely new skill set of people and build out a whole new team. And, and I remember turning around to the MD of one of these companies one day and uh, tell, or, um, saying to him, how much does it cost for you to, um, to open a new branch, to stock it um, and uh, to open it up? And he says, I suppose you wouldn't see half a million. Mm -hmm. And uh, said, yeah, well, that's what you need to put into your online business because it's yeah. effectively like opening up another branch. Yeah. And he, yeah. he nearly fell off his chair, you know, but it's, but it's the truth, you know. <laughs> Um, that's the kind of money that you have to put into it. So, um, yeah, there's a big learning curve for these guys, you know. And uh, you started your online journey after the big crash around 20, uh, sorry, 2008, right? Yeah, 2008 is when I first started. I actually, uh, the company that I'd set up with BillForNest.ie was actually a comparison site. And when I look back, it was actually the first comparison site that was ever developed. So, so the way it worked was that um, I had every builders providers in the country on, on the platform and say, say you would go in and you'd build up a, a shopping basket of products that you wanted. And then you would select the county you're in. And then the next page would then be select which builders providers you want to send the order to. So, mm -hmm. so then you would probably select four or five merchants to to send a quote to so each merchant then would get an email and then they would respond kind of to that email kind of yeah. affiliate marketing or affiliate site comparison kind of but they'd have to log into our platform in the mm -hmm. back end and they'd have to provide a quote then to the customer the customer would receive three or four quotes and then they'd obviously pick the cheapest one right yeah. so 
But unfortunately, uh, the technology to really lock down uh, that way to a business, it wasn't really there at that point in time. There was too many loopholes. We had so many customers just walking into the builders, merchants with the quotes and going here, I'll just buy it off you directly, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, because we were so early, people just weren't kind of clued into to how it all worked properly. And you had a little bit of resistance as well from, from builders, merchants, we said, I don't want to deal with, with some random online company taking a cut out of our margins. But, you know, little did you know that you're passing them free business, really. You know what I mean? So, but, um, yeah, that's kind of what it started off as a kind of comparison site that had to be rebuilt to be e-commerce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the reason why I mentioned 2008, because before you spent a lot of years in the not online space in this industry, right? So yeah. you also spent those years and after you started the online thing which is maybe it was even more expensive back then i don't know but uh it's never been cheap for sure no Um, so how do you how do you see the role of email marketing and customer retention in your uh your industry all right um well well, email marketing is vital. It's it's probably when uh, when it's done properly, it would be our most profitable channel when it comes to revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's important to be able to automate an awful lot of your flows as well. So um, uh, it's also a great way of staying in contact with your customers, retaining your customers. Um, uh, giving offers to a specific type of customer bases if if you have your channels broke out into different segments. I think it's important to be able to do that, to to recognize your different cohort of customer base mm-hmm. and be able to split them out. And then each one of those cohorts receive a specific type of email that's, that's dedicated to the kind of customer that they are. And uh, like, I mean, there'd be no point sending a DIY or a very technical type email that, you know, only a contractor is going to understand. But obviously you would go way more granular than that. Obviously, you know, it's not just about the DIY or the contractor. Your your flows should be way more granular and um, even down to location, average spend type of products that customers put in their cart. Like, I mean, we would have many, many different types of flows. Um, and all those are kind of dedicated to different types of cohort of customers. So that's very important. As well with um, text messaging. Like, I mean, we use text messaging in many different ways. Of course, marketing is one, but we also use it with good success around notifications to our customers um, and kind of staying in touch because it is a great way of making sure our customer gets the information that they need around our order because a lot of guys on site aren't checking their emails all day. They're not like yourself and myself where we're sitting in front of a computer screen and every time an email pops in, you'll see it, you know, but a lot of these guys are on site and they're working. So they're not checking their emails. So text message works very well there when it comes to notifications. And we do use it from a, uh, for, for marketing also, you know, with special offers, etc. So, I mean, we would send somewhere in the region of, I'd say close to about 50,000 text messages a month to mm-hmm. all our customers and they're varied it can be anything it can be anything from notifications on your delivery or your order right through to to promotions yeah uh, and and it works quite well um but the email marketing side of things you know it's funny because years ago 
um, email marketing kind of fell off the radar it was considered intrusive um, I remember speaking to many people that said, oh, no, don't do email marketing anymore. No one reads any of them. And now email marketing is one is one of your best channels for uh, for revenue, you know, because yeah. it's such a great direct way of, of sending something to a customer. But you got to get it right, because if you send the wrong types of emails, you'll be unsubscribed and and, and people will get fed up looking at your emails and uh, you'll be stuck in the bin. So it's important to get that message right and keep those newsletters and those emails, um, uh, keep the topics of them relevant to what your customer wants. Yeah. Did you have an aha moment uh, when you started doing email marketing or you knew it from the beginning of your online journey that email is crucial? How, how did um, it happen? Well, from, uh, from my point of view, I just looked at it uh, from the way I received emails and what what I seen in my inbox. And I noticed quite early on that, uh, you know, I always read my emails. So, you know, even when I get the odd email uh, from, from a marketing perspective of, of a uh, supplier, which kind of going back years ago now, I always would have read it. So, so to me, that was like, well, if I'm reading these guys' emails, but then they're going to read mine or customers are going to read mine. So we started to kind of move more into that. But then as we started to grow as a company, also your team grows as well and you spot areas where you need to bring people in into certain areas. So when we brought in uh, our marketing manager and then started to build out our content team, that's when our emails started to become way more sophisticated um, and really started to pay, you know, because... The message we're putting across to our customers was was more in tune to what they wanted, but that wasn't something that it was like flicking on a light switch and going, "Okay, today we're going to start doing email marketing right." It was it was over years, Daniel. It took years to perfect it. It took years to fine tune it and get it to where it is today. And it and it'll still take years to make it even better again and to continue to get better. But but it is something that was was always there in the back of my mind that it's an important aspect of business. And it turned out to be. Yeah. So you, yeah, I think we can say that from the beginning, you, you really knew that and you were aware that even your own attention is there. You check your emails and, and people, they do it. So that's a yeah. great signal to get the attention of the people. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very, yeah, it was very important from early on. Mm-hmm. So thanks a lot for sharing your story today, uh, John Paul, and uh, and also uh, your the story of your businesses. We will put the links of those websites into the description, and uh, also to the listeners, I will put another link into the description, which is a free downloadable uh, checklist that you, everyone can use to audit their own email marketing. And uh, finally, stay tuned. Every week we come out with a new episode with, with an e-commerce business uh, founder. So it's worth to follow us. And uh, thanks a lot, uh, John. And uh, thanks a lot, everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Pleasure. Thanks, Daniel.